Hey everybody, welcome to the newest episode of Vulnerabilities and New Sexy. You know, when I was 17 years old, I was a freshman in college. I stepped on my overwhelmingly predominantly white campus for the first time. And I dealt with so much overt racism and also some microaggressions. So much so that it just became the primary focus. Racism, you know, it can destroy self-confidence. It can destroy an identity. You know, you start to internalize those discriminatory messages. And what happened was it stunted my potential and it really destroyed my mental health, to be honest. You know, microaggressions like racial vilification, racial profiling, institutional racism, denial of racism, all these things really did damage to me. And I've always wondered what it would have been like if I had made a different choice and went to NHBCU. I wanted to get some insight about what that experience was like, so I gathered some 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 current HBCU students. I got the good brother Javante to, to come participate in this episode, graduate of an HBCU. And we had a conversation and I gained my perspective and I got a glimpse of, you know, potentially some of the things that I missed out on. And it also gave me validation that, you know, my experience wasn't normal. It wasn't what was supposed to happen. So uh, I'm excited. I'm excited for you all to get an opportunity to hear this episode. And I hope you gain from it some of the uh, perspective that I gained from it. Uh, and I hope you, uh, you enjoy it. So um, I wanted to do this episode. It was important to me because I'm someone who went to a PWI, super predominantly white institution. And uh, that experience cost me a lot of stress over the years. And um, I've been trying to communicate that to to young people that I come across for many, many years. Um, There was a lot of things and a lot of terrible experiences that I had that, um, you know, that caused me some mental health, cost me some mental wealth, I should say. Um, so uh, even though I have, you know, been on HBCU campuses, I even drove one of my friends to one, dropped her off. Uh, I asked Javante to come because he was the one person that I saw uh, in, in my life that showed me the, the, the overhauling experience and really opened my eyes to it and made me wanted to start sharing it with other people. Um, so uh, Vaughn, I want to ask you first, who put the idea of attending the HBCU in your head? Uh, so it was, uh, it was the summer of going into my senior year in high school. Um, I had made my mind up to really apply to FAMU because I read this article in Fortune Magazine. It was in Fortune Magazine. Um, and I was reading it because I was on an internship. And I was just at lunch. It was a magazine in front of me. 
they did this whole expose on the business school. And they were talking about, you know, kids coming out at 22, making $70,000 a year. So if you're from where we from in the inner city, like, you know, I think I later found out the most money my mom ever made, you know, was like $42,000 a year. So I'm hearing 70,000. I'm like, these kids coming out 22 and they rich. I'm like, oh, shoot, I definitely got to apply to this school. You know, I thought that was rich. So um, fast forward to spring break of my senior year. And I'm at Virginia Union on this football visit. And they're like, tell me, oh, they're going to give me half football scholarship, half athletic, half academic scholarship. And it looked like my high school with dorms on it. So I was like, this ain't really what I thought high school was really going to be. I mean, what I thought college was going to be. And uh, at the same time, Lid, Khaled el uh, my homeboy, he was, he was uh, you know, basketball superstar in, in our state, went to my high school. He was in the national championship game for college. At the same time that night I was watching, they kept showing, it was in St. Petersburg, Florida. They kept showing, you know, every time they cut to commercial, they would show like the palm trees and the beaches and the, you know, all the water. And I'm like, oh yeah, FAMU. Yes, let's go. I, 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 I want to try to go and uh, visit FAMU. There's no water. If, if Tallahassee is like basically like <laughs> Southern Georgia. So this was a surprise because what happened was uh, my sister, she flew for Northwest at the time, now Delta. And so she could fly me down, you know, you know, buddy pass, all that stuff. So um, when we went there, you know, we got there, I'm like, yo, where the water at? And they were like, oh, you talking about the lake, you know, and for Minneapolis, it wasn't even a lake. It was like a pond, you know what I'm saying? It was like this small thing. And I'm like, where's the beach, the ocean? They're like, oh, you got to go about two hours that way. I'm like, what? I was telling my sister, like, nah, we could dip. Like, this is whack already. She's like, no, we down here. We're going to have to go to the campus. Soon as soon as we pulled up on campus in the morning, I saw the girls. And that was a wrap. Was I was like, oh, I'm going here. She was like, you ain't even seen nothing. I was like, oh, I see plenty. It is Florida. So they're like wearing nothing. You know what I'm saying? It's like coming from Minnesota. They're like, you know what I'm saying? Booty shorts, tank tops spaghetti strap little jump offs i'm like oh yeah i'm here i'm i'm i don't care what's happening i'm here she's like you gotta go to the school all this stuff so i go over to the business school and i was like my mind was blown so when i go to the business school there's students who show up they're dressed professionally they're giving me a tour of the business school every every wall is painted as a mural on every floor with a wall street in like a black area so there's the wall basically the equivalent wall street in in Accra, uh, Ghana, uh, in Nairobi, Kenya, you know, all of these places, they're showing like black folks doing business all over. So, you know, it's just like, basically you, you're supposed to do this. You, this is what you are here. The founding Dean was still there. Sybil C. Mobley, this lady had a big old fro to the day she died. I mean, huge red fro, you know, she was like super, you know, completely pro-black and they were talking about business, you know, and I was like, oh yeah, I'm going to this school. So crazy thing was I didn't even have the, um, for, to even get into the program I wanted to get into, which was an accelerated uh, MBA program there. I didn't have the, I didn't have the test score. So they were like, you know, I was like, yo, NYU giving me all this, you know, I'm like, I'm, I'm hot. You know what I'm saying? What y'all giving me? Howard was giving me something. You know, I was like, 
I'm going which y'all gonna give you? They were like, we ain't give you nothing. You only you can't even get into this program you talk about, but you could go into you know the regular program. I'm like, nah, 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 nah. I'm supposed to be in this program. They're like, well, you got to take that ACT again. So the day after I graduated high school, you know, I wasn't out partying after graduation. They did that. I took the ACT like the next morning. Cause you know, and I could tell everybody I'm going to this school, didn't have either, still didn't have had no scholarships, still chose that, not knowing. It was the best decision I could make in my life, but I had no clue the impact it was going to make. I was just basically chasing girls and chasing what I thought were going to be dollars at that point, you know. And so, um, but but that's why I ended up choosing FAM. And it wasn't even a um, conscious decision at that point to choose an HBCU. Uh, but that that it was basically like I was I I was choosing, you know, things that a seventeen year old boy would choose. And the so, universe gave you what you needed. Exactly. Wow, man. I mean, for us, for me, uh, you know, you we grew up in uh, you on the north side of Minneapolis. I'm on the south side of Minneapolis, and I honestly didn't hear anything about HBCUs. Uh, and I was watching Different World too, but I don't think at the time I really understood exactly what I was watching. Right. Uh, yeah. Even though I did actually apply to FAM, you mm, wow. but didn't go for the same reasons that you went. Because yeah. a girl, a girl kept me ah. in Minneapolis instead of going to FAMU. <laughs> but that's another podcast. Yeah, I, I didn't have a, no attachments like that. <laughs> I didn't have no attachments like that. I was, was telling a, everybody, "Hey, I'm about to be out." <laughs> so I'm gonna ask, I'm gonna ask so Tay and, and, and Alexis. I'm gonna ask y'all, y'all, and you two, D. Y'all grew up in the South, right? You're from North Carolina, Alexis. Tay is from Texas, and D, you from Texas as well, right? So um, what is it, who, who put, starting with you, Tay, who put the idea of going to HBC in your head? Um, it was actually you, because um, I think you've been ingraining this in my head since I met you, since like sixth grade. It's like when I um, started coming into your classroom more and stuff like that, I think, and you saw like how good my grades were going and the different opportunities that I got for myself. So I feel like, especially when I got into like around seventh grade, you were like, mm, well, um, I remember because you're an avid teacher also. So you like put that in my head since I was like this little one. So yeah. You kind of went back and forth with it a little bit up until the very end almost. But I mean, you, because you yeah, originally. I, I was originally going to go to Texas Tech um, because I got all my other, um, acceptances and nobody really gave me like a really like good scholarship so I was just like okay Texas Tech is giving me the most um because I got into MCAT um also and I was just like oh like I'm not seeing a lot going on in financial aid so I was just like okay like um I'll wait for my Howard one but I didn't really think I was going to get a lot of um aid from Howard um like when I applied so I was just like mm, like I'll put my mind on Texas Tech but then I got my Howard acceptance in April I think it was around the end of April and then I was just like okay like and I know I talked to you about it and I was just like yeah like I don't know I'm kind of scared for the distance and whatnot but I really am glad that I made the decision. This is when my heart started beating out of my chest because I didn't want to tell you what to do but I wanted you to do what a certain like I was just I was like please okay pick this school you will not regret it 
and you know six degrees of separation you kind of have Vaughn to thank for that because I wouldn't even been on that even back then when you were in seventh grade I wouldn't even been on that uh uh HBCU kick had I not watched him uh talk to me and tell me about what his own personal experiences so thank you Vaughn we got we got we got that's another beautiful. one <laughs> that's a beautiful thing uh Lexus what you in you down in North Carolina what made you who put it in your head to go to HBCU yes so basically the main people who basically like convinced me to go to an HBCU were Two of my friends, actually, his name is Jordan. He's currently a sophomore at NCAT, along with his sister named Aaliyah. That's North Carolina A&T, for those who don't know what NCAT is. Yes, 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 yes. And so basically, I grew up with the two of these people since I was a freshman in high school. And the two of them have kind of been like my big siblings in a way. And so how I met Jordan was we met on the speech and debate team and everything. And he was a very lively character he was very much into theater and everything and so when he was a senior I was a junior in high school and I was really starting to buckle down and be like okay I need to decide where I want to go to college and me I aspire to be in the medical field so I was keeping in mind like oh let me decide on a college that would be good for the specific area that I want to go into which is pediatrics and so when I was thinking about that I didn't have in HBCU as like an option I was mainly thinking of like the state schools in North Carolina like NC State UNC Chapel Hill um, Duke University like schools like that and so this was around the time where both Jordan and Aaliyah got accepted into NCAT and so I was like oh like what's NCAT (laughs) and they were like oh um it's an HBCU in Greensboro and I was like oh that's really cool like congratulations I wasn't I don't want to say I wasn't like happy or like excited, but it was just more so like I didn't know, you know, didn't know what a big the deal impact. It was. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I didn't really know too much about HBCUs back then. So basically, as their freshman year went on, this was, you know, coming into my senior year of high school, right. I'm seeing their stories and I'm seeing how much they started to flourish. Um, Jordan, he actually won Mr. Freshman at NCAT, and I saw his whole campaign he even helped me he even asked me to help him with his campaign and everything like that and seeing how much you know connections he made through that and also with Aaliyah she's also pre-med just like me so we talk a lot about like you know how her course load is going like her giving me advice for like my upcoming years of college and the opportunities that she's gotten because she swore in as an AK. I'm not really sure when I don't really remember, but seeing like the outlets that she's gotten from that, I've just been, I was like, wow, like, am I going to get that at like these schools like UNC, like places like that? And so I overall decided to, you know, really do my research about HBCUs, be like, okay, let me see what schools are good for not only like networking, but also for like medicine, because I know there are definitely some that are out there. And so I ended up applying to HBCUs. I mean, I ended up applying to NCAT, Hampton, and Howard, which I got into all three, thankfully. Um, And I also applied to, you know, like UNC Chapel Hill, like Virginia Tech, NC State, schools like that, which I also got accepted into. But UNC Chapel Hill was my top choice. And I, oh my gosh, ever since I was little, I wanted to go to that school. And unfortunately, I got rejected. And so then... 
I think that's the turning point because that's when I really started to see Jordan. Fortunately, fortunately you got rejected. I mean, like, it's fortunate now, <laughs> but like back then, you know what I mean? Because like, you know, it's the school that like every Carolina girl dreams of going to. So, mm-hmm. you know, what I mean? and so that's when I started really seeing Jordan and Aaliyah just take off in their endeavors with their majors and everything. So I was like, hmm, like, you know, I started considering NCAT. We, me and my parents visited the campus and my parents didn't really like it that much. So we were like, okay, let's go visit, you know, Hampton. And Hampton was really pretty. So, you know, mm, we didn't really like them, but you know what I mean? Yeah, Get, gotta to stick. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can't, I can't be yeah. called like We gotta edit that so, part out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Relate you. Right, we, of course, of course. exactly. <laughs> And so basically, um, it was the spring break of last year, actually. So April 2021, that's when I visited Virginia Tech and Howard. And these were my last two schools that I was touring. And so the first day of like my little touring excursion was Virginia Tech. And I really liked it. And that was actually my like one of my final choices in deciding schools. So I love the energy. I love, you know, the community and everything like that. I love the academic aspect that they had to offer. But I just noticed that when it came to like diversity and, you know, the cultural part of the campus, I just didn't see that. Like literally everything was what I wanted in a college except for that. I was like, where are all of the black, where are the people who look like me? You know what I mean? And so I was like, you know, I really sat in the car, like after touring, I was like heavily thinking about that. Cause I was like, I want to be somewhere where I'm heavily represented, especially in what I'm doing specifically. So then the next day we came to Howard, me and my parents. And so as soon as I stepped on that campus, I just, I could not stop smiling. And it was a big difference in my attitude from when I visited Virginia Tech the last day. And my parents could tell as well, like the whole time, like going through the yard, going through the valley, you know. And I think at the time, there were a bunch of seniors like taking their graduation photo shoots and whatnot. And I'm, you know, I wanted to be bold this day. And so I approached them And I was basically like, hey, like, I'm a senior in high school. Like, I'm really, you know, I really like Howard a lot. Um, Boy sounded just like that? Yeah, like, literally. Like, (laughs) I don't know what came over me for me to just approach these people (laughs) like this. But, yeah. Okay, well, I didn't didn't sound like that. I'm over-exaggerating, but I was nervous. And so I just asked them what they're majoring in. And luckily they were majoring in biology, which is what I'm currently majoring in. So I asked them, I was like, so how do you think, you know, the biology program at Howard is like, what kind of opportunities have you, you know, gotten out of your experience here? And I don't remember in particular everything that they said, but they said that it was definitely worth it. You know, of course, Howard is going to put you through the runaround and, all of that good stuff but she said that it was overall worth it and I could really tell by what they were saying they were just genuine like they were like you really should seriously consider coming here and so you know I took that and I told my parents and I don't know just I don't know I can't even explain it like I was just so happy that day 
but my parents did not like Howard as much as I thought they would, you know, and my parents come from the Caribbean, so they didn't really Mm. get the chance to, you know, like, have a bunch of choices when it came to applying to colleges, and so, yeah, ultimately, I ended up telling Jordan and Aaliyah, like, you know, I toured these schools, but none of them really compared to Howard, like, the energy at Howard. Yes, exactly, and it just, yeah, and so they basically ended up telling me, just to put it quite plainly, they were like, you should really, really go to Howard, like, I can definitely see you, like, flourishing, and, you know, doing well, I really do think this is a school for you, so, yeah, that's, that's that's pretty much all there is to it. Um, yeah, I mean, that's a lot. It sounds like you kind of had the same experience as Vaughn. As soon as you walked on campus, it was, I mean, you weren't looking at yeah. everybody, but you felt it as soon as you walked on. Yeah. Right. His wife's also AKA, so she got, he could, yeah, I'm, I'm asking the input about that a little, uh, mm-hmm. a little later. Uh, D, your experience was a little different. You, you started out, you know, playing basketball, or whatever, going to a, to a, to a, a PWI and then you had to switch it up. But you, after you switch it up, you still had to make the choice of where you wanted to go, and you chose to go to Texas Southern HBCU. So, uh, uh, what after after your first experience, what school were you at at first? I was at uh, Mountain View. Mountain View Community College. Mountain View Community College, and you was hooping. And then uh, what what well whatever you tell me what don't don't let me talk for you. What were you doing at Mountain View? So. My first year, I was just getting basics out the way. So okay. I was coming out of rehab from a previous basketball injury. And it was just like, I just go to school, you know, worry about basketball later, yada, yada. And it hit me. I was just like, I'm not even going to play with these guys no more. So just go to school, do what I got to do, get up out of there. And at that time, my mind wasn't even in the right spot. So I lost my scholarship and my academic scholarship. So I was just, I was just floating in the wind. And every day I came home, my grandma used to talk to me and it was just like, she was like, well, baby, you know, you gotta do this and such and such to get back to where you wanna be. And I was just, at me, being me, I wasn't trying to hear it. And I was just, I wanted everything to fall in place at when I wanted to. So after my two years was up, uh, the person who got, me really invested in HBCU was my auntie because she went to fam and I always took visits from elementary school so elementary school all the way up to eighth grade in in eighth grade I was always down there for something and and every time I stepped on campus it was just like this is where I want to belong and I felt like I belonged here so it was, was taking a tour and then it was just like, yeah, I want to be here. She took me to like one of the parties and all that. I was just like, yeah, I can, this is me. I wasn't even looking at the girls at the time. It was just, this is where I wanted to be and I'll do whatever I got to do to come down here. So leading up to me coming to Texas Southern was like a last minute decision, like so last minute. I applied to all HBCUs through the uh, the Common Black app, the one I told you about when you visit me down here. Right. And um, HBCUs weren't my first choice at all. Since I was playing ball, it was it was always been Kansas, like Kansas Jayhawks, Kansas everything. So like me being a little kid from the South and seeing these 
seeing these little guys on the court that's just like me playing like me. And I was like, I can have a shot at this. And as I got older, it was just like, nah, let's be realistic. So let's go somewhere where you could you could really be you and and look be around people just like you. So that last minute decision, I was just like, Texas Southern is where I want to be. No, it was no doubt about it. Both of my friends was like, bro, you got to come here. Like, there's no doubt. You got to come here. We got the best food. We always hang out. It's always something to do down here. And I'm like, I don't know. Me being hesitant, if I think twice about something, I'm not going to do it. But I did it. And I don't regret the decision at all. Uh, but yeah, I could tell you, uh, you know, when you were walking us around campus, uh, I just went down to Texas Southern last weekend to watch a game, and uh, D showed us around. And uh, uh, the campus was kind of shut down because in-persons hadn't started back yet. But, I mean, this dude had videos on his phone from, like, it was like like living them, like from the yard. So does every HBCU have a yard? Is that, is that what I'm – is this part of the deal? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah. That's the that's the experience. You call it different things, but yeah, it's a fam is called the set. Um, so yeah, D was showing me all the all the pictures and videos of the yard and different talent shows and things like that. Uh, I'm I'm down there showing my son who has you know decided that he wants to go. To, he's 12. He's decided he wants to go to HBCU. It's it's in his he's that's it. He's made his mind up about it. So I'm going to try to expose him to as many different experiences as I can. Um, and that's kind of why we were down here. But what I want to ask you, because um, I know you have a lot to say on this, in 2022, why are HBCUs still necessary? Well, they, they're as necessary in 2022 as they were in 92, 2002, 2012, 82, 1922. And before you talk about we don't have access to, it's just what that, what that, those campuses offer, what you do have access to. So everyone talks about, you know, when they stepped on the campus, that sort of unexplainable or inexplicable feeling of being on the campus, you felt at home. And that's, that's number one, you, you are, you are going home. Okay. So that, that's, that's the first thing. And what do I mean by that is that in a, in a, you know, a hundred years prior, we all somehow are impacted by great migration. And, but in this country, all of us, our roots, our homes are in the South, number one. And then, so whatever, however, whatever the journey was of the great migration, wherever it ended up landing you, being able to return to a very familiar place, you may have not ever known that that's number one. When you get that, you're starting with a basis of a level of comfort, and then you're in a soil where you're going to be cultivated. So you, you're still a child when you leave to go to college. And children, you know, the, the human brain doesn't completely form till it's 25. So you're still a child when, you, when you're in college, and you're going to make a lot of childish mistakes. You're going to do a lot of childish things. And there's no better place to do that than if you're at home. And what I mean by that is things that may impact you in a, a wrong way, in a negative way, end up being places where they become lessons, but you learn through them, you learn with others, and it doesn't limit or impact your, your psyche uh, for that. FAMU's motto is excellence with caring. 
And so they demand you to perform at a level that they know you're possible, that, that, that your potential holds and you're possible of doing, but they do it in a caring way. And you're reminded of everyone that came before you to provide you for that, for that time and space that you're in, why you need to continue to grow and cultivate. So, you know, why is that so important? You're going to have your whole life to figure out what it is you're going to do, what mark you're going to leave on the world. But you don't have your whole life to figure out who you are. And so at an HBCU, you get to figure that out. And you get to figure that out by people who have been there, done that. And you get to figure it out by others who are going through that same thing. So you, you, you're going home to your family and your family takes care of you. It's going to give you all of the necessities that are required to be not just an upstanding citizen, but a global leader, having that presence everywhere that you go. The first thing you got to be able to do is know yourself, love yourself before you can do anything else and impacting anyone else. And you can't get that except for at an HBCU at that specific time and place. And folks may say, you know, these are arguments I used to before it was it was nouveau and before it was all cool and chic to go to an HBCU. And I was being a proud proponent and, you know, it was like, oh, nah, you know, folks from FSU, Florida State across the road talking to me about, oh no, we get the experience too. You know, we got a black student union. Like, nah, that ain't it. We, we got a student union and it's just everybody in there is black, you know? So, so we're not putting it, there's no difference. There's no idea of, of any ineptitude. Uh, we have more of, of abundance of everything. And we know how, you know, we get it. So you're going to, you're going to, you know, you, you're going to party hard, but you're going to definitely study just as hard if you're going to be successful. You're going to, you know, have the most interesting people from the most diverse backgrounds. You know, people, I was running into people and they were surprised with black folks in Minneapolis and Minnesota. And then they quickly learned, like, I, I was like super hood. And then they, you know, I say quickly learn because, you know, you know, we quick to check somebody. I mean, we just from the hood, but I'm going to, I'm going to school with people who like third, fourth generation rattlers. You know, their parents was doctors, all this stuff. I'm seeing people as one of, I remember my freshman year and biggest arguments I ever got into was with a, uh, a girl who was giving me a ride as a freshman. You're not supposed to have cars. She had a car because she lived off campus. She picked me up in a Ben's truck. I asked her which one of her parents sold drugs. She cussed me out. And I was like, why are you cussing me out? So you got a problem with drug dealers. My grandma was a drug dealer. What's, what's, you know what I'm saying? What's really good out here? So, you know, these type of things are two black folks, you know, completely different worlds, you know, but then you get to learn that. And then, you know, the first time I was in, a, in an HBCU uh, uh, party, I called my mom and was like, it had to be about 2,000 people in one, one fight. Nobody shot. You know, and I was like, mom, you ain't gonna believe this. Now, Joe, you know, if it was Juneteenth, Rondo days, you know, these community events where we came from, 30, we hit the head left. on a swivel because yeah. we were waiting for somebody to shoot, fight, break out, all of that stuff. And so the first time in my life, I grew up around nothing but black folks, but I'm seeing how, you know, we, how we really are supposed to be, mm. how everyone can, you know, you could this, this entire thing. So it's just, it continually, continuously blows your mind from the time you step on the campus to the time that you leave, you know? And then the last thing I'll say is college is about that development, you know, of who you are as a person, 
but then it's also about the network that you leave with. So everything else in between the grades going on, uh, get your, your, you know, grad school going on, get a job, whatever it may be. You know, the other thing is the network. So when it's time to get put on, I guarantee I've, I've, I've dealt with a million times, just the attitude and the tenor and tone of folks, black folks that didn't go to uh, HBCUs, but went to PWIs and all the things they got to check, double check this inferiority complex that exists a lot of times uh, from folks who went to PWIs, it just it's not there with the, with the HBCU bro. So you know that that those things alone are are, are wise is what you do, how it grows you into a, a woman or a man, and then you know the network that you leave with to be able to prosper. So let me ask y'all this, uh, young folks, when you hear Javante uh, go through all that stuff he just said. What is what are your feelings? What are your reactions? What is your response to the things he was talking about? Um, I think um, for me, um, since I'm a health science major and I've been like around sports, especially like I feel like um, for part of my life being in Texas, like in New York, it was more like academics. But then once I moved to Texas, it was like, oh, like you can really get like a lot of your school paid for like just a lot of opportunities to get free college in Texas. Um, so I think my mom wanted me to continue doing track and like keep like putting track like in my mind, like, okay, like since I started it and I was doing good in it, she was like, oh yeah, like, like academic. Yeah. I want your academics to be good, but maybe this is another way that you can um, get your college paid for or at least something um, and I think that a lot of people, because I know like a lot of, sometimes I stay like in tune with a lot of like the recruits, like the top recruits and whatnot. Um, and I saw for 2022, I believe, um, there was a five-star football player that committed to Jackson State. Um, and I think that like, it's really important for higher ranking, um, like just athletes in general. Um, to start going to HBCUs and stuff like that. And I feel like that's another thing we need because I will I will say that for us, I know for my knowledge, um, even our training room, um, I believe we're getting a new one pretty soon, but it still is like, definitely doesn't touch like what you could get at a PWI. And I think a lot of athletes get like pushed away by how, some HBCUs still need to be like a little developed to even make the basic cut mm. of what a um, PWI has. Um, and I think once we start getting more athletes or like just more attention around um, HBCUs, because I know um, sports does bring in the money, like yes, academics, but sports definitely brings a lot of attention to different schools and stuff like that. Um, so I feel like we also need um, like more of a, this holistic look at the different programs in HBCUs and how to develop them. Because I think even in 2022, like the fact that this is the first time this has happened like ever, I feel like maybe it's the start of a path of getting more athletes to come to HBCUs because I think it could really help like benefit us. Like, as well. I'm going to jump in just for one second. I agree 
you spit in. Okay. So I really do think just to add on top, just so people could take HBCUs more seriously, I tend to realize, especially from back where I'm from, I'm very, from a very predominantly white town. And so whenever I told, just to kind of like click back to like, you know, telling people who I know that I'm going to Howard and everything, the first thing that they would automatically associate Howard with is, oh, I bet the parties are really good. Like, I bet, you know what I mean? And it's like, yeah, I mean, I guess, like, thanks. But at the same time, it's like, why can't you think of, you know, our academic, our academics? Why can't you think of our business program that's ranked number five in the nation, if I'm not mistaken? Like, why can't we talk about the athletics? Why can't we talk about, you know, our band why can't we talk about our musical program like things of that nature ain't and no so i really to talk about y'all's band though ain't no reason to talk about yeah that. like okay 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 <laughs> anyways but yeah so it's really just about breaking those you know generalizations and stereotypes surrounding hbcus like the you know kind of negative connotation of you know hbcus not taking you know further education as seriously as PWIs. And what's important about that joke is that there's such a disconnect about who we were, who we are. Mm-hmm. So, you know, HBCUs were created because we couldn't go to us, couldn't go to any other schools, right? right? We couldn't go to any other schools uh, legitimately until like the mid to late 70s. There was some like, you know, you get in between from 1954 on, you could give in between and, you know, the cracks and everything. But just think of everybody who's anybody that's black. They went to an HBCU. Mm-hmm. So you talk about education, you know, people don't know. I mean, you, you go down the list. I mean, you who, you want to talk about MLK, you want to talk about Oprah, you, you know what I mean? It's, you go further back. You, you talk about anybody who's anybody. Every, Every, every one of these schools has these all-time great African-American achievers. And there's such a disconnect between that. And it's like, you know, our programs didn't just get good out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, they, they always were. And, you know, when, and, and again, I go back to just knowing that when you, you're taught that when you're there, you're like, yo, you, you got to show up because this is, you're standing on all these people's shoulders. Mm-hmm. And here's the list. And it's like, dang, okay, that's gonna that's gonna give you right there. That's gonna give you some responsibility, as well as pride, as re- and then make you productive, you know. And that is something that you can't get at PWI because mm-hmm. they ain't talking to you. They literally are not talking to you. <laughs> and, and but but it's but it, it it they're absolutely talking to you, with you, through you at an HBCU. Mm-hmm. That that connects me to something that uh you know before this started I I literally asked D to join about twenty minutes before we started because I asked him since he's been to a PWI and a HBCU what was the main reason or the main difference that he felt from his experiences I'm gonna let you because it's connecting to what Javante is saying D so tell me what tell him what you told me in, in regards to that question so the main difference for me was. Uh like from the first week of campus, well, first week of school, like the teachers really care and everyone treats you like family. And at a PWI, I didn't get that. Like I was just another number. So in class, like the teacher knows my name, 
she knows like when I'm not fully understanding and she'll find a different way to teach me. And I just felt like that is the best thing I can ask from a professor at a, at a HBCU because not all of them are gonna care and wanna see you do better. And everyone that I'm in class with, they'll help you get to that next level no matter what they have to do. And I, and it was just, and that's, that's all I told you. And I was just like, that's the main difference for me. You told me that you felt like not only the teachers, but also the, the, the whole environment was pretty much invested in your success. And that's what you didn't feel so, before. So, you know, <clears throat> I got an anecdote here. My freshman year, um, I, I, I could have easily passed in high school AP English. I, I didn't take the test seriously. I was, you know, public school, failure of the counselors and anybody tell me like it's college credit you won't have to they said it but they wasn't like you know again yes. it wasn't like okay just you know take it home. Like, yeah. I, ain't, yeah. I ain't doing that that cost like fifty dollars i i'm not right. thinking like oh, it's about to cost you you know three hundred fifty dollars yeah. right. So, right so i i was taking english as a freshman year first semester class was at 8 a.m okay i'm at school 7 15 i woke up at you know six o'clock to be school 7 15 in high school so you know we all make this mistake getting early morning classes at, at in college right and so my english class 8 a.m i show up a couple of times everything she's covering i already know i'm like i'm, I'm just gonna take these tests that was she said that was the only grade just the test so, you know, they, she, she graded the test the same way of like AP houses, essays you had to write, come, you know, this was test day, I'll show up, got sixes on all the tests. So I got A plus, right? So grade comes out and I got a B. And I'm like, you know, I go back to this teacher, I had different, different professor next, next semester, but I go back to her like, hey, you know, just want to talk to you. I think you made a mistake. You know, I, I definitely got, you know, perfect scores on all the essays. What's going on? And she's like, you think you should get an A? And I'm like, yeah. You know, she was like a Trinidad. I think she's from Trinidad or something. She was like, I should fail you. Boy, you never came to my class. You know, she's like, what does it say about, you know, you if you miss more than three classes, attendance, you it's supposed to be an automatic F. You know, she's like, I, I gave you the B because, you you know, it's clearly you're, you're, you're a brilliant writer, but you, you should get an F. So you want me to change the grade to the real grade? I was like, nah, I'm cool with the B. But again, that's again, that's that care that, you know, if it's PWI, I'd had an F. And I'd have been mad. I'd have been talking about this racist. You know, when I was graduating, I had all of these uh job offers to pick from. And I was consulting with one of my my MBA professors. And I'm like, you know, this one is a real low offer, but you know, everybody there is like black or Hispanic. And you know, everyone said they're gonna look out for me and all these other ones that give me more, but wasn't no black people there. He said, you know. Javante, isn't it a beautiful thing when you can go someplace and race is not an issue and you know if you suck, you suck all by your own and it ain't got nothing to do with nobody else? And that really stuck with me like, damn, yeah, that's just like here. You know, it's like if I'm messing up, I know that mess up is I can own that all the way. You know, and so those those are things there. That is, that's the way the care shows up, you yeah. know. And again, making bad choices as a, as a, as a child, you, you're not, you know, they ain't putting the, the nail in your coffin because of some things and they ain't doing it for white folks. They, they at PWIs, they not, they treating them just like we're treated at HBCUs. Yeah. You know, so. I will never know. 
<laughs> I was I was I was 17 when I graduated high school and I was ranked really high and you know I could have went anywhere like my my academics were on point and uh I ended up staying in in St. Minneapolis St. Paul and I went on to University of St. Thomas campus and everybody was white literally everybody mm. and uh so like after that like every single day like I was finding myself trying to be the blackest person ever. Like I'm wearing like Tim's with shorts and <laughs> do rags, you know, it was back when I still had waves and all that. I was just every day, you know, tr trying to, trying to like be comfortable in my identity and never really, you know, I would go to the gym and you know, you get carded to go in there to hoop. And the guy was carding me and carding me, carding me every day. It got to the point where I'm watching, you know, uh, uh, white students walk past me going to the gym without being carded. And he's carding me so much. It's some, he's like saying my name. Like, let me see your ID, Joe. And I'm like, bro, you, it's the same dude every day, you know? And I had a sociology class where, you know, this, this lady wanted us to do some type of uh, project or study of a different race. So I chose, I chose white people. And she told me I couldn't do that. But then threw me out. Since I'm, this is, I'm like one, the one black person in the class, the one person of color in the class, and she just threw me out as an example, of, 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 of like a like a reference point. Anybody wants to do black people, you can, you can talk to him. And I'm like, well, why can't I do white people? I'm not white, so I don't know anything about this race. Like, let me try to, you know, you know, I got plenty of references in here, you know. Let me let me go with this. And then she wouldn't let me do it. Brought a Confederate flag to class. <laughs> and, and I'm sitting here thinking about all this stuff right before this episode starting out, you know, because like a so, year and a half ago, I, I it just stuck with me. You know, I'm 17 at the time. I'm I'm 40 now. And, right? and, and, and it stuck with you. It stuck with me forever. It had impacted you. It had impact. And, and I went to I went to go write her a letter at, at 40, you know, and um, she never replied. But then I looked it up again right before this, right before we did. And uh, she died in 2018. And the only sadness I felt was that I didn't get the chance to tell her what she did to me because I ended up flunking out my freshman year. My first semester, I flunked out of college. And you were bright as you you were bright when I met you. Yeah, I, I graduated high school with with, with with high honors. Yeah. And I you had know, every and scholarship it, that you can name of, and I flunked out my freshman year. Good friend of mine, you know, Sonny Patterson, she's renowned spoken word artist and uh Tuskegee graduate, Tuskegee alum. Uh, she has a poem where she says, you know, we don't train warriors on the battlefield. And what that means is, you know, the time for you that that you were shortchanged, unfortunately, it wasn't, it, the time for you to be in that environment wasn't at 17. And the time for any black boy or any black girl to be in that environment is not at 17. Cause we know that world exists, but you gotta go get, you, you know, you gotta be, you were forced to be tough before you were strong mentally. And you go get strong at these HBCUs and then later you can be tough. Mm. You know, you in a sociology class and this white woman is telling you what to do. Who created sociology? HBCU grad. W.E.B. Du Bois is the creator of sociology. Mm. I learned that at my HBCU. 
And when he was the first black man to get his PhD from Harvard, and they asked him about, you know, how does it feel? He's like, you need to go ask them. Surely the pleasure was all theirs. He knew who he was. He was like, I'm, I'm, I'm whole. You know, he wasn't thinking about that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it, and again, you don't get that at 17. He got that later in his life where he felt like he was doing them a favor by showing up. You know, and but this is the creator of sociology. So the study of social sciences was not a thing until W.B. Du Bois created that. Right. You know, and you you in a sociology class and this woman is messing up your head as a as a you know, 70 year old boy with all the potential in front of me. We can't we can't we can't if it's possible. We can't let, allow our children to, to be in those situations. Mm-hmm. You know, Malcolm said, "Only a fool will let a, uh, his enemy educate his child." Mm. Right, and that's why that's why I thought this was important because of my personal experience. You know how long that stuck with me. To this day, I don't remember a single professor from my freshman year of college except for that one. I don't remember a name. I don't remember a class. I don't remember. I flunked out. You know, I, mean, I had never in my life had issues with academia ever like I didn't even have to try it was that simple for me but at that point I mean I didn't end up graduating college until I was 27 so mm-hmm. 10 years later it took me to get out of college all because of that horrible experience of me being more concerned with uh, uh, my identity and trying to defend my identity against you know what what I understand now like she put that flag out at the time I didn't even understand why that was wrong completely mm-hmm. You know, yeah. uh, but I knew that I was being treated differently and I spent more time trying to uh, uh, defend, uh, defend and find my identity as a black person, as a black man, than I did uh, going to class or yeah. or studying. So it's not that I, I didn't even drop out. I didn't even withdraw. I just stopped going. Mm. I just stopped going to campus. And I had so many scholarships that the school was giving me a $3,500 check every semester. Mm. And I, and I blew all of that and I, and I was an orphan. So I was getting all kinds of financial aid. I blew all of that just because, and I could have took that anywhere. Yeah. You know, so it's going to Utah. Like that's why my heart beats out of my chest when you're trying to decide between Texas tech and Howard. And I don't know what Texas tech is like. It could be just fine for anybody, but yeah. My, my own personal experiences make me like it would have been nice if I could have went home yeah, yeah. it have been nice if I could have went home you know? I think the good thing um I think one of the one of like the pinpoint things that I got so um I was like blessed enough to um get the opportunity to be in a program where I get my associate's degree while I'm still in um high school and um my mom was just really like it's your choice, but I knew that it would be something that would benefit me later. Like I had to, um, cause we would take our first college class, um, our freshman year, our first semester of freshman year of, um, high school. So I was like, mm, like, can I balance this? Like, I'm not sure. Like, I just thought like, I, I know I can do it. Um, so my professors there, um, when I had to take my gen ed, um, history classes, like, it was around the first times where I heard like 
like maybe just a slight difference and then I was like oh like my and my professor is white um he was really the best professor like I've had so far like I really did like him but I didn't realize how much history I didn't know until I went to African um American studies I had that my first semester here at Howard. is that is that a requirement to graduate at Howard yes it is it was a so, requirement to graduate at FAM too yeah, so um, I'm really glad because I'm like a health science major. So I'm like thinking, why do I have to take like African-American studies? But I was just like, well, I'm kind of glad that's in my major. So I have to take it. So it's nothing like extra that um, I need money for or anything. So um, when I was in that class, uh, we had to listen to podcasts like every week for our um, for our assignment like of the week. And I was just like, uh, at first I was like, this is kind of like, like this is an hour just for like a hundred words that I have to respond. So I was like, mm, I can watch, maybe listen to the first like 15 minutes and then jot something down. But as I was listening to like all these different PowerPoints, it was mostly just about um, like just different small stories about Black people and how we civilized. Like that's how, what she made our class about is about like, how we built ourselves up but then as I'm listening to all the like just experiences these people went through it was just like if they had the knowledge that we had today like so many things would have been different and even I know we've successfully like been like civilized um like how Black Wall Street like got burned down and everything I just feel like it's crazy to see actually in examples like how far back we were compared to um our like white counterparts and um my mom just always like she's she's stuck in my head like oh like diversity like yes like we push for diversity but I feel like I also um I'm glad that I came here and I started being around like um just people that look like me because diversity <clears throat> is good but you can't I feel like you can't fully accept everybody's love until you feel your own like from your own people like mm -hmm. I think that that really just um it showed me that I made the right decision because it it's a different type of um love when I didn't we didn't all bond because we went through a bad experience from like a racist teacher or something like that like we all bonded just because we're like oh like me and Alexis like me and Alexis are like almost the same person Literally. just like in different things because both of our parents are Caribbean um both we're both first generation then we both um had like just our different lives stu like studying studying our parents ingrained like everything that all of our values that we have in common is from our parents and right. stuff like that so I feel like me and Alexis we became friends because we were like oh like your parents are from the Caribbean like in my area I didn't have a lot of friends like that like it wasn't like oh this teacher like she she treats me different like does she treat you different like I don't want to have to trauma bond anymore like I feel yes. like bonding feel just like, like a super bar just, mm -hmm. just like, like you just you just said a bar you yeah. have a lot of jewels yeah, yeah that was a lot of I, I know for a fact, I'm sitting here thinking about my experience prior to, to this call again, and I'm like, yeah, there's people I met on campus, but we definitely bonded over, I mean, we had a, we actually made a documentary that I showed in class. We bonded over our traumatic racist experiences on that campus. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So hearing you say that, like, hit me in the heart. 
you know yeah, that, was a, that was a hitter yeah because <laughs> really, i care about you so much i almost feel like tearing up but go ahead keep because it was like it was just like a different um and also because i feel like a lot of like black people my mom because i also um i discovered this year that i had adhd and dyslexia and i was going through my whole life like i was doing really i've always been a really like studious um kid like not just because my mom told me so but because i knew it would benefit me like in the end but i feel like also um with the way like mental health is in the black community and everything, I would hear like my friends talk about their experiences. And I actually had a friend who was dyslexic and had ADHD. And whenever I was just like, oh, like, I think that maybe I should get myself like checked out like and evaluated. They just thought it was like a, they were like, oh, like this is just like your personality. They just thought that I was like, maybe like just a fun like black friend. And like, this is what, this is just like black people are like, and just something to add fun into your life just not taking it seriously like like I think we need to sit down because I am you but just black and like (laughs) it it just doesn't make like and all the like different things like with school that they would have like they would be like oh like yeah this is really hard I'm like yeah like I thought it was hard too and then people around us are like oh I thought it was a little easier I'm like we're both having troubles but you're not connecting with me because you think it's just me. Like you think, mm-hmm. oh, like you like invalidated. Oh, I think a lot of like black students get invalidated a lot too. Like here, I don't think I've gotten invalidated about something I've said. Like, yeah. like if I have an issue with like something, I'm like, oh, this might be a mistake. Here it's like, oh, like let me go check on that for you. But there it's like, mm, like, are you sure? Because yeah. Um, this student like had this in your high school yeah this student had this opportunity um they they had like a game this day and they had other things so you could have got your work done in the same amount of time and it Mm -hmm. just wasn't like it was just like oh you need to take accountability like for your wrongs instead of just like can you hear me like I don't think you're like hearing what I'm saying like you're Mm -hmm. not giving an opportunity Mm -hmm. to express my feelings and teachers are always like yeah you can come to me about anything but I feel like that was more real <laughs> for my like white students because you can't like come to them with I'm anything laughing at PT, like no nope. <laughs> would definitely you can't. that would definitely piggyback into a whole different conversation of like you know mental disorders like mental things that go on with people of color and how it's not nearly as taken seriously you know compared to the white community but we would be here all day if we were and you came from you came from a predominantly white area just like tay did Mm -hmm. and so i want to come back to the history thing in a minute but i also want to know like when you when you change those environments like how long does it take you to realize that you're somewhere different than where you were it was really almost instant like Mm -hmm. I think because I had, I think I had, I forgot what I had a problem with. I had to get something figured out, but my, like, just the communication, it wasn't like a, oh, um, well, here's the steps on this website. You can go there. It was more like a more personalized experience because um, Howard was going through, um, I think everybody was trying to figure out who their advisors were. And <laughs> I just emailed the like head and I was like, Hey, like, 
I have no idea who my advisor is. I'm trying to get this figured out. And he replied in like under five minutes. And he was like, oh, give me your ID number and I'll do that for you. And it, it was just like it. my first experience. I was just like, oh, like I'm getting I'm it. Somewhere like, else. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. It definitely was instant for me. How much you like this? Honestly, mine isn't really so much. Well, at least for the first time, it wasn't really academic wise, but um. It was the very night I moved in. It not the night, but the day, August 6, twenty twenty one. Literally, it was. <laughs> I remember this day like it was yesterday. Um, it was very spontaneous. Me and my roommate, you know, we had met each other, and then, you know, there was a certain sense of like camaraderie that happened between like class of twenty twenty five specifically with like group chats, social media, everything like that. And so someone randomly was like, oh, like, you know, like we're all linking up in the yard at like 930 or something like that. And I told my roommate and we were like, yeah, like, let's go and whatever. And so we get down to the yard and, you know, we see this big group of people and we're like going over to them. And it's like, what interacting with, you know, the students who I've never even met before in person, it's just there was no tension there was no awkwardness that I experienced you know at all like it literally it felt like I was talking to a family member like it just felt so comfortable I could be myself because you know when I was back home I'd have to do a lot of code switching you know in conversation everything and it was just like I didn't have to do anything like that and that's basically when I realized you know I'm definitely not in North Carolina anymore (laughs) um Man, um, this is so, overwhelming for me. Go ahead, John. What are you going to say? I just wanted to hop on a history thing real quick. Um, so you, you, you guys, you, everyone's aware of Black History Month. Of course, yeah. I feel like that's going to be really good. This, oh this yeah, year? oh yeah. You, oh, yeah. you know who? You know who? Who founded Black History Month? I actually do not. I do. Yeah. Yeah. So Carter G. Woodson. Do you know where he founded Black History Month? Maybe Alabama? At Howard University. Howard University. Oh, would you look at that? And <laughs> he did that, and he did that um, because he was creating the first African Africana Studies program in the nation mm. at Howard University. So that same department where you're taking that now, and what I want to tell you guys, if you can, I know you're taking this and it's going to get you wrecked. So, you know, for graduation, but if you can, Dr. Gray Carr, who is, that was my professor last semester. He okay. Is- so you already took him. So make yeah. sure if you can get, get to class with Dr. Gray Carr, he is going to go down in history with the names of like Carter G. Woodson and everybody else. And he's there on your campus now. If you can, go ahead and take that. I just wanted, and, and, and then you'll be set for life. That's what I can say. He's definitely a big influence. On- yeah. He's like a celebrity here, basically. <laughs> he like is. He really is. As, as he should be. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Speaking of history, I want to say that from, from you know, with, with everything everybody all of a sudden becoming aware and and uh with the racial reckoning in 2020 a lot of people were finding things about history that they didn't know so comes the misconception that in my opinion misconception that 
a connection to history can be traumatizing, which is semi-true, okay? When you go to an HBCU, and I'm assuming, so you correct me if I'm wrong, there is a deeper connection to history, mm-hmm. to your history. Is a deeper connection to your history healing or traumatizing? Or does it matter what environment you're in? So while y'all thinking about it, I'll go ahead and hop in because now you, you know this spot. This yeah, 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 I, I did right this to tickle you, Vaughn. I did that to tickle you. You know, it, 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 it's absolutely healing because there's this thing called cellular memory where you have some residue trauma and you don't know why. And so when you learn the why, that starts your journey on, on your healing process. So that's what history has to begin with. When you learn who I am, that, that's the first thing you got to answer. Then what am I to become? And you can't do that without history. So the best way to predict the future is looking at everything historical. That's why there's this such thing as statistics. That's why you're looking at quantitative methods. You're looking at past events to be able to predict what happens in the future. We're the only animals on this planet that can do so, you know, for that far in, in, in advance. And so, yeah, the cellular memory may be traumatic. You may, you may feel it in a way that no one else can, but when you learn it, and you're learning that in an HBCU or an environment similar to that, um, then you're learning it from the right lens. And oftentimes in HBCUs, and it doesn't matter where the HBCU is, I mean, I mean, it, it, is, a, it is a walking museum when you're going through that. I mean, I just told you Carter G. Woodson was, you know, he founded your Africana Studies program. <laughs> and his, and his, his grad assistant was Langston Hughes. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's like, you know, the, this is, is you're going to be connected to it because what's in the page is also right in front of you, you know, and, and that, that's at Howard, but, you know, Texas, some of the reason these things were created, why they were created is it, when you understand in the right lens, you, you understand that we were not, we, we never been losers. We always been overcomers. And so they tried it, you know, they tried to kill us several times and we just, <laughs> We just keep coming back over and over again. And you learn that, 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 and so, you know, it really is like wherever we start from, we're going to, we're going to hawk you down. We're going to overcome that. You become a part of that. You become a part of the history. You know, how y'all that freshman class, y'all was flipping out all last semester. They ain't have stuff right for y'all. That was every ancestor on your shoulder saying, don't take that. Right. It was really that that was that was a crazy experience yeah, we're, we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into that no, <laughs> yeah, it really was but we'll i think pers- i think for for me personally when i was learning about the different um so i'll touch on a subject that um one of the podcasts was about um i had to write a paper on it but um it was about i forget i think it's to live again freely um, don't quote me, but it's it's something like that. Um, and it was talking about how when um, Black people were getting out of slavery, how they didn't even know, like, it went deeper into how they didn't know what to do and the family structures and stuff like that. And it also mainly talked about Black women and how Black women didn't know, oh, like, do we even have enough money to stay at home? Or do we have to go work? Or how is it? Um, how does our lives, like, what do we do with our lives? Like, what is our role? And it just was like, 
the foundation of, you know, like everybody says like, oh, like strong, independent black women mm-hmm. and stuff like that, like how that's like really a stigma that's been pushed like for as long as I've been alive, for sure. Um, so I think like just like I saw and read about like the like the beginning of it really. And with Howard being like a mostly um, like our ratio is like, I think a lot of seven to three gender-wise right yeah yeah yeah, yeah. 73 um but it was, it was it was actually, yeah 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 so I think like just seeing like we have a lot of I also feel like safer to be more vulnerable and stuff like that like because yes that like learning all the different things black women went through and like it's like yeah they had to be strong but I I just like feel it feels nice to be vulnerable like for a little bit because there's other black women we know like we know the stigma that's been pushed on us like especially we're so young like I turned 18 like three months ago um and that's already been heavily pushed on me I just like at HBCU I feel like I don't have to upkeep that like all the time you know like I can have my moments of weakness for sure I don't even know uh, man you, you you're leaving me speechless Tay <laughs> So uh, there is a stigma for sure on black women that they can handle uh, anything or Mm -hmm. should be able to handle anything, especially extremely stressful and traumatizing situations and be able to bounce back from it. And you are saying that when you are in the environment that you're in, the pressure to be that is not as strong or as powerful as it is maybe or has been in the past. Mm-hmm. that's what you're saying sure. so when i uh, that's that's deep another bar so when I, i'm asking that question because you know it's like that um like that james baldwin quote you know like to basically i'm paraphrasing to know what's going on is you know is to be angry in a state of rage at all times you know mm-hmm. but it sounds like between all y'all what y'all are saying is if you have a connection to your history but you are still uh, combining that with a level of pride for your history, then it's not, it's more healing than it is traumatizing. Whereas if you don't have that pride and you're constantly in a, in a, in a state of defending who you are or holding up a stigma that is unfairly pushed upon you, uh, you only feel the trauma of that history. Definitely. I don't think I could have like gotten this, like, like learning about all of this. I don't think I could have like, if I got this at a PWI, I'd just be, like, I feel like I would definitely be really, really wary of my, like, um, surroundings, because the whole time it's being talked about, you're just looking around the room, like, yeah, and then, like, especially in high school, like, I know, like, pretty much every Black kid's been through this that, like, has gone to a predominantly white, like, like institution or something like whenever you start talking about like black issues and black topics they either want to hear your opinion and then what you say is how mm-hmm. they like phrase everything else around the it expert or, in the room. It's like, or it's like oh like let's not say anything too bad because right. they might get offended or something like that like, they water no, it down water it down yeah. completely and it's just like I'm glad that I'm definitely learning it in a black space because it's not really a safe space like in other places i definitely don't think it is like at all hbcus are are sacred spaces they are they are all of the healing and growth that are required 
And in any collegial atmosphere is all about possibility. It's all about you're that age where you're invincible and you can take over the world, right? And so if you're learning history through that lens, then the focus is going to be about, okay, we, we overcame and, and now how do we continue that and run faster in that space? When you do it in a sacred space, you talked about, you know, you wouldn't want to have that conversation in a PWI. Yeah, because that's that's what that's what the business, that's family business. And that stays amongst us. Yeah, I don't want to eat up everybody's whole evening, but I do want to I do want to ask a, a, a couple of things specifically. Mm-hmm. For y'all, Lexus and Tate, uh, uh, and and HBCUs in general. You know, every time you hear the criticism, it's it's always about the facilities and Mm-hmm. Uh, and you know how things are supposed to be run down, and and you know all all those type of negative type things. And y'all went through a very public mm-hmm. uh, protest out there with uh, you know the whole mold, and they even showed me pictures of your shoes and all kinds of stuff like that. And it was you know it was pretty bad. But even in the middle of you telling me that, you're still saying you're texting me saying I'm so glad I listened to you. Best decision I ever made. So I just want you to, to, to and, and Vaughn too, you jump in and, and, and talk to me about those, those, uh, criti- those criticisms and kind of why they aren't as, as shouldn't go factor into people making their decisions when it comes to going to the HBCU. Oh, yeah. I feel like the first, the first, like, I wasn't even educated. I didn't even know what was going on because I found out later on that the people who started the protest didn't even go to Howard. Like, I thought I was just, because I'm a freshman, I'm like, oh, like, I don't know the people who, like, are here. So mm-hmm. I didn't even know that. So they basically came to our campus and they were like, oh, like, we're going to fix things up around here and whatnot. And we were just like, okay. And then the protest started and we still didn't even know what was going on. And then like when we start seeing like the articles and then people from back home or people from that go to PWIs, they're like, oh, like couldn't be me and stuff like that. I'm like, mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. even still, even though, yes, I'm angry about like what's going on. I'm like, that doesn't give you an opportunity to downplay like the wonders of like HBCUs mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Like the wonders. Like, it's just like, I like, I wasn't comfortable. Like every time it, like got to that point I was just like "Mm," like I don't really want to hear it like it's not like I'm invalidating anybody's opinions and stuff like that it's just that like your opinion like we're talking about stuff to make our HBC like better better like for the people that come after us it's not so much like oh we're abandoning it like it was just uh, a moment for criticism and stuff like that and I Mm -hmm. feel like I don't point out different things about like my friends, like, what they go through at their, like, PWIs, like, like, they go through problems that we don't even experience, like, I know for us, we're comfortable in our bonnets, like, and pretty much, like, we, it's not like we go, like, around, but I know that, like, wearing bonnets for a lot of people is just, like, a no, like, like, Monique told y'all. Yeah, it's deemed as, yeah, like, it's ghetto, deemed as ghetto and stuff like that, classy. but here, that's, def- it was just, like, a whole, like, different thing like and I know they go through like oh like what's what are you wearing on your head like what do you need a bonnet for like like uh, different like different things that you wouldn't understand so you can't take away those but then they try to take away like what good things we had and I just didn't like that for 
had been bit like right. it was really pretty bad I could say for me personally because I know of people who I've grown up with since I was a child you know they're seniors now and they you know applied to Howard and they would text me you know the articles from like CNN NBC like outlets like that and they would always not always but like they would ask me like oh like should I go to Howard like is it you know is this a good choice is this really somewhere I want to be at and in response to it I'm just like you know of course there are going to be moments where you are very fed up and you're very much you know like get me out of here of course you're going to feel like that but at the end of the day don't necessarily like throw out an opportunity to be someone extremely great and come out of the school with like an experience that you wouldn't get at a PWI don't throw that away just because of you know I'm not trying to like downplay the protest as like you know a minor you know incident or whatever because it definitely wasn't but it's like you know you see a circumstance like that and it's like okay well the first solution obviously is administration you know actually listening to students and not just like acting like they do and not put any effort into like fixing the conditions that are you know problematic and so you know I would basically tell them that I'd be like yeah like I'm just going to be straight up with you Howard does have you know some issues that definitely can be fixed but at the end of the day I feel like the good outweighs the bad and you know what I mean and not even just like personal friends like I am very like active on like you know making TikToks you know like the Gen Z type of thing of you know like just being on Howard's campus and I have my Instagram linked to that and from that a lot of people from all over have messaged me you know like asking about like oh like how was Howard and this girl she was actually from Brazil she messaged me and she was asking me about like the program like the controversy that she's seen and things like that and I just told her I was like you know yes the you know the problems that we have it does you know it does take toll on us it really does but at the same time it's like you know we do end up persevering in the end so I really do think that this shouldn't be something that you know discourages people from applying to HBCUs because at the end of the day institutions such as like you know Harvard, Yale, institutions like these they have issues that are just as similar as HBCUs so it's like you can't really use like Howard or you know just throwing out like schools like NCAT you can't really use like Spelman you can't target these schools and these schools only when it's other colleges and universities that go through the same stuff you you bottom line assets minus liabilities equal owners equity and so the assets at HBCUs are greater than the liabilities that's not to say there are none Mm-hmm. They are there. Everybody, you know, if you have it, you're going to have to wait in a long line. Something very simple, very easy could be handled. You know, you guys, I entered college, Joe entered college, you didn't do anything on a computer, you know, so you guys do everything on a computer, but the HBCU is going to find a way to take you back <laughs> to the 20th century. And you got to stand in line. You talk about a trauma bond worth having, though. Stand in a long line with somebody you didn't oh, yeah. know at the oh, end yeah. of it, you know, like best friends, you know. But again, building that character, building that uh, perseverance, 
that fortitude, that stick to itiveness, that grit, that's all part of it. And sometimes you, you know, you you'd rather not go through it, but you don't want to remove every obstacle out of the path. You want to prepare the child for the path to get over all of those obstacles. Mm-hmm. What you just said reminded me of something. I was on Twitter the other day and I saw a tweet that was like, yes, HBCUs do, you know, students do go through like struggles, whether that be with like advisors, talking to administration, things like that. And then she said, but why is it like necessary? Like, why is it like, you know, why is it so like normalized for students to go through that struggle? And while I did agree with that tweet in some ways, like I definitely agree that like not all the struggles that HBCU students go through is necessary. Like not all that stress has to, like there is a simple solution if there's just like communication and, you know, all of that. But at the same time, like what you just said, like the struggles, they really mold you into the type of people who come out of these schools and are great. And I just feel like, you know. So, you know, if you if you had a, you know, typical African-American experience with lineage and family here, you go to family reunion down south, you're staying in a busted hotel. You probably had the caravan down there in some busted car. So when you get there, you're going to have the best food. You know, you go to your grandma's house. It is not a five-star resort, but you're going to have the best time. You're going to get the best cooking. You're going to hear the best stories. You're going to feel the most comfort in this place that may be somewhat dilapidated, someplace you wouldn't live in. Your mom going to be in there talking about, mama, why don't you fix this? All of that. She's like, don't worry about it. This is my house. That's an HBCU. That's what it that is at the end of the day. Oh, like, <laughs> so uh, one of the last things I want to I give Vaughn the opportunity to talk about uh, for y'all, and, and I'm going to let y'all have some dialogue if you want to, to ask any questions. But I want you to talk about or speak to the afterlife uh, of HBCU grad and the kind of the, the experiences and networks and how that's kind of helped you. And then, you know, t- tell them where you're at right now as far as your career. And then uh, and then uh, I'll let you go from there. Oh, OK. Well, yeah, I mean, on the other side of it, I went, um, you know, go to business school, make a lot of money, all of that. I'm high ranking executive in corporate America, um, HBCU grad, wife, two kids that know they have no other choice, uh, you know. And just so, on stage, just for a second, wife's, Vaughn's wife is the owner and uh, of, I don't even want, what do you want to call it, man? Is owner of what? Is it owner is the word for it? I don't even know. Yeah, man. she's, she's super the educated. owner of a virtual private school slash homeschooling network. Joel's son is in as well, Afrocentrics, you know, focus, but it, she, that, that's what she's doing now in this time of COVID. And um, I'm saying that because she's been an educator her, her whole career. She graduated with a business degree, but she found her passion in that space and was a teacher, a principal, then a consultant, you know, been all around the world with me, lived in several different countries, worked in several different countries and, is now, you know, doing this on her own. Um, and it's um, it's all because of FAMU. It's all because of the HBCU experience. We both come from different backgrounds, um, but, you know, we found each other. That's part of the story. 
I want to tell another story. Early on in my career, I was working in New York. Um, it was St. Patrick's Day, uh, where Joe and I are from. There are no Irish people. <laughs> they're, they're Swedes, they're Norwegian, Scandinavians, maybe a couple Polish, maybe some German, not Irish. Irish. Yeah, <laughs> I'm talking about the white folks. I know, I know, I'm messing with you. <laughs> so, you know, I know nothing about St. Patrick's Day other than, you know, some they wear green or whatever, you know. So I show up, uh, this guy I work with, he's obviously Irish in New York, a bunch of Irish people. He's like, what are you doing with that shirt on? I'm like, what you on my shirt for? It was orange. He said orange. I said, first of all, this play a peach. Let's get it right. This is not orange. You know what I mean? This is play a peach. So he was like, it's St. Patrick's Day. I'm like, yeah, but I'm not Irish. So what did you, you know, what you say right now? So he's like on the day making comments. We're at lunch. He's telling me, you know, basically orange for for the St. Patrick's is like, you know, it's it's the crip day and you wearing red. You know, it was like it was beef. And I didn't know. And I'm like, oh. Okay, I didn't know. He's like, how could you not know this? This is St. Patrick's Day. I'm like, do I look Irish to you? I said, look, tell me a principle of Kwanzaa. And so he was like, well, oh, wait a minute. Here's the remix, right? And I'm like, yeah, I am not holding you accountable for knowing my culture any more than you should be holding me accountable for knowing your culture. Now, I think back on that time, and if I wasn't prepared to know that my culture was enough for me, and then now, because I asked that he could then educate me about his culture and then I could educate him about my culture, then we could have a dialogue and maybe a discourse and talk more about it. All of those things that happened, it happened in a healthy and positive way. I think if I didn't have the experiences to know that not only was I good enough, but it, it was what was best for me, mine and my own, that's what I got from HBCU. There are plenty of times in corporate America, you go out here in this world, when people say, oh, it's not an example of the real world at HBCU, you don't need an example of the real world. You need to be prepared for the real world. And nobody in nowhere is going to prepare you more or better for the real world than an HBCU. And so those experiences, I know people went to PWIs, they would have got flustered and there would have been an attitude. And this guy, oh, he don't like me. You know, he said all this stuff about me at St. Patrick's Day. It didn't turn out that way for us because I was solid enough in who I was could stand on my square. And that was because of my experience, education and cultivation at my HBCU. And so that's, you know, that's really the other side of it, that you're going to be molded in a way that is going to be not just good enough, but the best for you. Yeah. And I want to skip over that bar. His wife owns a school. <laughs> and it's not just a school it's literally the best school and Absolutely. What, it, what it's doing and shaping from for as i'm witness to this my sitting behind my son as he's on on class is the closest i've probably got to an hbcu <laughs> uh because i mean i believe the only way i can even slightly understand the stuff that you all are saying here today is because of what i observe in him when he comes down the stairs and he's breaking down all these things that he learned, you know, or if something traumatic happens for black people in this country, his, his class will stop and have the conversation about it as opposed to brushing it over. Like it didn't, like it's not going on, you know? Well, yeah. And that's why I was, 
comfortable in taking him out of public school and installing or helping to install a pride in himself and as as Vaughn say, help him be solid in his on his square, you know. Um, and I'm observing that happen firsthand. I'm observing the anxieties uh, disappear in him, not completely, but for the most part, they disappear. And the rage that he once had for uh, witnessing anything uh, discriminatory, um, I mean, he had a rage, and he's only 12, yeah. you know. And he, he, he doesn't feel that, I mean, he still feels an annoyance over racism, but it's not as deep as it once was because I'm watching because, him build up who he is. Because he's validated and knowing that it is okay, it is right, and he is supposed to exist. That's and exactly that's it. it yeah, the it's, validation. is validation. It's HBCU yeah. or any Afrocentric school, which is what an HBCU is, is it's <clears> going to be validation of your existence. Yeah. Did y'all have any questions that y'all want to ask each other? You can ask D, you can ask the ladies. Ladies, y'all want to ask Vaughn. Vaughn, you want to ask the young people. Anybody have any questions they want to run past each other about your experiences? Um, I think I have a question. It's just about, like, how do you feel about non-Black people going to HBCUs? Oh, oh yeah. Question two. Oh, I love it. I absolutely love it. So I got really good friends. White from everywhere, you know, and as you see it at, at HBC, well, let me shape it this way, you know, again, from the historical perspective, you wouldn't have Kwame Nkrumah, who was the first president of Ghana, uh, as the first president of Ghana, if he had gone to an HBCU, you know, you, and, there, and I'm, I'm naming one, but there's tons of them like that, you know, and then when you get educated at HBCU, and you are from a majority culture, you know, you're white or wherever your country is. We have a bunch of Colombians at FAM, whoever it is, and you get to know and understand that experience more. So that interaction. So the white folks that I went to school with and the Asian folks I went to school with, they've gone on to prosper. And guess what they're doing? They opening up the door for opportunities that all the people from their network and their network is us. You know, they taking that same African-American studies class just like we, we got to take. So now they're coming out with a more holistic view. So you may have spent 12 years learning, you know, the history of, of white America. You know, now in that time, they got to learn your, your history. So, you know, it, it, it makes all of us better um, from, from that lens. So I, I love to see it. That will be the first promo for this episode. Thank you, Tay. <laughs> Any other, any other questions? Go ahead, Dee. What would you tell the, uh, if a high school senior came up to you right now, what would you tell them about an HBCU in general? Elevator speech. <laughs> so for me, it's simple. I mean, it's the same I've been saying for 20 years. It's like, you, you, you can't make many wrong decisions in life all of them help you on your path, but not going to an HBCU is a wrong decision. Agreed. Yeah. I feel like for sure, um, like if I, cause there are, I know with Alexis, there are high school um, seniors that ask her a lot, but um, I think for me, like I only had one, like really that was persistent about it. And I think like it just, 
made me realize how much I like being here. And um, like, as I'm talking to her about like my experiences and stuff so far, um, even during the protest, like I also realized that she wasn't like really criticizing Howard, like, oh, I shouldn't go here. It's just like, a, oh, they need to do better. So it just mm-hmm. like, it was pretty nice to see them. So I would, I just told her basically like, yes, like there are the things that we go through and you already have the attitude of like, oh, I don't, like, I'm not going to go to HBCU like at all. It's just that maybe like, maybe I don't, I might not fit the best at Howard, but it's just like a, I still kept on her, like go to HBCU. Like mm-hmm. if you don't go to Howard, still go to HBCU because it's very, I feel like it's definitely really necessary for a character development. Um, I feel like it's just like, it kind of like even, it's like evening me out mm-hmm. also. Cause I don't, I didn't have like the typical, I would say like African-American like kid childhood because my parents are from the Caribbean. Right. And I had to like, I went through things that they didn't go through and I had to like learn that maybe a little without their guidance not like necessarily bad but um I feel like it's definitely an experience like to take on for sure like I like doing that last question I'm gonna ask Tate because I'm I was wondering when you sent me that text saying that I'm glad I listened to you it was totally random it was we hadn't you know it's not like we were in the middle of a conversation it was just out of the blue and I and I you know it made me emotional to read and I'm just wondering what you were experiencing that moment that made you text me that um I was just in my room it was the day it snowed here um and like we there were like people planning to do like snowball fights and stuff like that and it was just like every like everything around us because we had just got back I think I think yeah that was the day after it was the day after we moved back in so the joy of like seeing my friends again and then also the joy of like I'm seeing everybody it was just like a really you felt like the aura I feel it's like just black boy and joy yeah boy like, and girl joy it's just like the like everybody was like the aura from the whole campus like you just mm-hmm. it just felt like oh like I'm wait I woke up this is gonna be a good day like and then I opened my window and like I can see found founders is like what you see on every like Howard like the clock tower and everything mm-hmm. so it's founders we can see from our room well she can't but I can okay like <laughs> and I just have like a perfect view so that's why I sent you that picture also and I was just like staring out the window and I was like like I'm really like I'm glad that I'm back like mm-hmm. I didn't realize like I knew I was gonna miss home like a little bit but I was like yeah like I definitely made it it's basically our second home yeah like, it much. is for sure like it was just like I had so much happiness like and I was just like yeah Mm-hmm. I really am. Happy. I would say, even though like you guys know, like what I've told you know high schoolers who have asked me this, just basically, if you have the chance to really dive into your culture, really indulge it, and take it all in, with the chance of you know molding yourself intellectually, why would you, why would you just like pass up that opportunity? It's pretty yeah. much it. Well, I, I appreciate all y'all uh, giving me this input. You know, I, in the process of this, I did share y'all share with y'all my experience, and uh, uh, it's little. It's I'm, I'm happy to hear. You know, those experiences exist for somebody. It's a, a little part of my heart is sad because you know, like I said, I actually got accepted in the fam and didn't go, and. Um, I try because, you know, I try not to have too many regrets because then, you know, I don't, 
maybe not have the the, the life that I have or the, the wife or the children that I have if I make that move. But um, at least I can sit here and 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 hopefully pass that experience on to one of my sons since the other one didn't want to listen to me. <laughs> But I can't now listening to you guys and, you know, you guys' high school experiences, I can almost understand why he didn't. Um, uh, uh, the, the communication was different or it sh- the communication wasn't what it should have been. And I didn't put him in the positions that I should have put him in possibly, you know, it's something I, for another time. But um, this thing's about to cut off, but I just want to say uh, I really appreciate it. And um, I hope you all, you know, enjoyed the conversation as much as I did. You're doing great work, man. I appreciate that, Vaughn. Appreciate that, Vaughn. Whatever it is, I hope you got from it what I uh, wanted you to get from it. And and even more, learn how to validate yourself or put yourself in, in positions where you can feel validated so you can learn how to validate yourself. And put yourself in positions to learn how to not allow for anyone else to invalidate you. Uh, you know, that's something that a young a young Joe could have used. And I hope that, you know, if there's a young person out there who is considering, uh, considering going to school, that you took into consideration what was said in this podcast. Um, for me... It was almost, almost a validating experience because some of the traumatizing things that I went through as a, as a, as a, as a college freshman, uh, it took me a while to not view those as my own personal failures. And, uh, and this, this episode, this, this conversation helped give me a different perspective on myself during that time so it was greatly appreciated and i hope you enjoyed it i'll see you next time vulnerability is the new sexy